What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, we've done it. We've done a whole 2021, except for this episode. And also except for, like, a chunk in the middle there. We've done most of a 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind the hiatus, but it is now the end of 2021, and we we are recording our last episode for the year. It's very exciting. We survived Christmas. And everything being Christmas, and we are at New Year's now. And we survived the rest of 2021. I mean, 2021 wasn't really a cakewalk. A little bit better than 2020, but <laughs> we got to get we got to pat ourselves on the back for getting through that whole year as well. But to celebrate, we like to do a very special year-end episode. We call it the 2021 Remix, where instead of just doing a like New Year's themed hypothetical question or silly things like that, what we do is we look back at our whole year of questions that we did. And we mash them up and we combine multiple questions into one super, like, Frankenstein hypothetical. We did this last year for the first time and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot better than what we used to do. Which was a fake award show. Yeah, we used to do we used to do our own award show, but nobody voted, so it was just us. <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> just us going, hey, wasn't that funny? Yep, sure was. <laughs> sure was. We definitely did a good job there. I don't think it was the worst thing in the world, but it definitely would have helped if... Uh, this one's better. Yeah, this yeah. is better. <laughs> That's the main takeaway. This is a better option. So we're picking questions specifically from 2021. Yes. So these are all be questions that we've done in the past year. If you want to hear, you know, full answer for those questions, just scroll up a little bit or scroll down. However you organize your player. I never know. My, I don't like podcast players. They always put them in different orders. But anyway, Chris, why don't you get us started before I ramble on more about nonsense? Yeah, so the first question that I chose to start us out with is, what if you had Spider-Man's powers? That's from episode 129. This one is pretty straightforward. You should probably know what Spider-Man's powers are already. But if you don't, I guess there are a bunch of different versions of Spider-Man. But like the traditional Peter Parker Spider-Man has three main powers. He has a web slinging, so he can shoot webs. And he like, depending on the mechanism, it's either from a web shooter or it's biological. And he uses those to, like, swing around. He can crawl on walls. So, like, he can stick to walls and, like, climb up them with very little effort. And then he has spidey sense. So he can, like, sense when things are going to hit him and he can dodge them easily. Stuff like that. And Spider-Man, his stories usually take place in New York City. And there's a pretty good reason for that is because of the web slinging. He needs things to swing off of. And the tall buildings in New York City are a very good way to do that. So tall buildings are very important for Spider-Man. But that brings me to my second question, which is, what if concrete didn't exist? So that is episode 143. And obviously, New York City has a lot of tall buildings. I think the average building height in New York City, Marcus, you looked this up before, and it was actually lower than you expected because they, like their sample size was kind of weird. But um, it was 45 feet tall, I think. That includes areas with like much shorter buildings, though. But if you like include only the buildings that are 10 stories and or higher, because like there are areas that are more concentrated, 
um, with tall buildings, the average gets closer to 190 feet tall, which is much taller. And those are the types of tall buildings that we would need to swing on. But if concrete didn't exist, would this still be possible? So tall buildings are usually a combination of concrete and steel. Like usually they have like a central concrete core of some kind or something like that. They have like concrete columns, concrete foundations. Concrete is very important for skyscrapers. And yes, you could technically make a skyscraper out of steel and not concrete, I guess, but that would be very cost ineffective. It wouldn't really be a practical option. So I wanted to see, I wanted to look at a different option and I started to look into timber to see if that was more cost effective. So how high can you actually build with timber was my first question, because from my recollection, I don't know of any like timber only skyscrapers. So the International Building Code allows timber buildings to be built up to 270 feet tall. That was actually revised just this year. It used to be only 85 feet before that. Oh my. Yeah. So in 2021, they revised that. That's a big change. Yeah, it is a pretty big change. And one of the main concerns for building such high timber buildings is the fire resistance. Obviously, wood is very susceptible to fire. But technology has gotten better. We have better ways to treat wood now. So I guess they felt they were more comfortable increasing that a little bit or a lot. Or maybe some dude who was just super into wood buildings kept pestering the building committee. He's like, fine, fine, let them burn. Just let them all burn down. And then we'll see. Then we'll revise it after that. I think they used to build taller timber buildings. And then there was like a, I think it might have been in like Chicago. There was a fire or something. And it like was really bad and spread a lot. So they stopped doing that. But I think you are allowed to go past this 270 feet if you get like special approval from them. They have to like review your design and stuff. But uh 270 feet is like the base like limit. So next I want to look at some examples of timber buildings just to see how tall we've actually gotten. And the first one is in America. It's oh, well, it's actually not technically in America right now because they never built it, but it's called Framework, and they're going to build it in Portland, Oregon. The design was 12 stories high and 148 feet tall. And it was going to be considered the tallest timber building in North America. They called it the nation's first high-rise building made of wood. And it eventually was canceled because they had a lack of funding. I think they got like a grant for like $1.5 or something like that. But then they couldn't get additional funding it had to scrap it <laughs> when someone at a funding meeting was like why don't you just build it out of concrete <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so that didn't happen if that's only in north america there are some other examples like around the world and one of them is the mulacker broadcasting transmissions facility i don't know if that mulacker that doesn't sound right when i say it but that's how it's spelled And that is the tallest wooden structure in the world, or it was. Again, this doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) So this was 623 feet tall, and it was actually demolished in 1993. So it no longer exists. Also, it's not a building. It's just a radio tower. But it is tall, so it's an example of something really tall that's just made of timber. Like a tree. (laughs) Like a tree. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But something that is really tall that is a building, or... I guess also technically not yet, because I haven't built it. (laughs) But there's something called the W350 Project, 
which is a proposed building. They haven't built it yet, but it's going to be in Tokyo. And the design is for 70 stories, and it's going to be 1,150 feet tall, which is way past the 270-foot limit. So this probably had some special approval of some kind. Now, the design of this says that it's made of 90% wood, and the rest is made of steel. And if they do build this successfully, it will be the world's tallest wooden skyscraper. So they plan on starting construction in 2024, and then they plan on finishing in 2041. So it's a really long construction cycle, but 2041, it might be finished by then. I work in construction. It's not being done before 2050. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) And the cost of this building is $5.6 billion to construct it. I want a different example just to compare to like a normal building for the costs. So I looked at a skyscraper in Moscow. It's called the Oko. And I picked it because it's a similar height. It's 1160 feet. It's a little taller, but not by much. And it's built with concrete and steel. And this costs only $1.2 billion. So it's a fifth the cost of our timber building. But if you look at the square footage, it's half the square footage of our timber building. So it is, if you're looking purely at the square footage, the cost per square footage is about twice as much as the timber building. So it is still more, but it's a little more reasonable. And we don't have to build buildings that tall. We can build shorter buildings and have them be cheaper. <laughs> It'll still be high enough for Spider-Man, I think. Yeah, Spider-Man, what, what do you need? Five stories? Four? You know, six stories? Twenty stories? You tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, how tall Spider-Man prefers his buildings to be. The problem is that the W350 project, its foundation is going to be concrete. So I, it was actually kind of annoying. I got like pretty far into my research thinking that it was all timber because they said the 90% timber thing. And then like I saw a random sentence that said that it was gonna, the foundation is going to be concrete. And foundations are a big problem that we've run into with taller buildings in general. It's actually what Marcus looked at when he was answering this question in his main answer. He looked at if like all concrete foundations disappeared, then all the buildings would fall and what the impact of that was. And large buildings, like their foundations, even if they're not like primarily concrete, they usually use concrete in some way. So you can use timber and steel piles for like deeper foundations um, if you want. Concrete is favored over wood and steel because there's moisture and insects in the ground, which like contributes to like rot and stuff. But you can like treat the wood and there are ways to sort of combat that a little bit. But the main thing is that um, pretty much all buildings that use these timber or steel piles, they also have pile caps to distribute the load to these individual piles. So the load isn't just on one pile, it's like distributed. And those pile caps are pretty much exclusively made of concrete. I couldn't find any examples of foundations with zero concrete at all. I don't know. It was kind of difficult just researching foundations because when you look for a building, they don't really say the, like they look at the big part that you can see and they don't look underground. They don't talk about it. So it was a little difficult to research, but maybe they're out there. Yeah. No one's looking at it quite through the lens that we're looking at it. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, hey, I want to build this building out of wood. Why? Because it costs five times as much. Yeah. We're not doing that. It's usually the end of the conversation. (laughs) And I guess technically you could make your pile caps out of different materials. I didn't really look that much into it. 
the main takeaway is that it get a little more complicated to build these tall buildings and that we probably would not have tall buildings if concrete didn't exist. We probably have smaller buildings with like just small wooden frames. And that means that we'd have no walls to crawl on as spider or we'd have short walls to crawl on as Spider-Man, I guess. And we wouldn't be able to swing anywhere, which is boring because I don't want to run everywhere as Spider-Man because web swinging is obviously faster than just running. At least that's what I thought. But apparently there is a comic that suggests that Spider-Man can travel two miles in five seconds, which is 1,440 miles per hour. People tend to agree that this speed is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) It's either a typo or someone didn't really do their math out, but... (laughs) It's probably that they didn't do their math out, knowing comics. So apparently the online consensus for the upper limit of Spider-Man's running speed is about 250 miles per hour, which is still really high. That was according to Screen Rant, which I assume they just looked at like a bunch of different opinions about his running speed i don't know where they got their sources from but i got their my source from them so blame them (laughs) the burden of proof is on them yeah again i think this 250 miles per hour is pretty ridiculous i don't agree with it personally so i'm gonna say that if i'm spider-man even if i can run this fast i don't really want to i want to web sling because it's cool so how can i web sling without any tall buildings around me And that brings me to my last question that I answered, which is, what if all animals could fly? Episode 137. So, technically humans are animals. When we were answering this question the first time, we kind of ignored that. We just said humans don't count for this. There's only animals that aren't humans. I'm going to follow this for my answer right now. I'm going to say that I cannot fly as Spider-Man. So I I only have Spider-Man's power. Spider-Man... One of his powers is not to fly, so I can't fly. But I can use these flying animals to web sling. I can just, like, attach my webs to them and swing off of them. The question is, can they hold my weight? Because you never see Spider-Man webbing birds and swinging off of birds. (laughs) Why haven't we seen that, honestly? (laughs) Actually, maybe that exists. I don't know. I didn't really look too hard into it. Yeah, where's the the pigeon that, like, ends up between the building and Spider-Man that just gets, like you know dunked and just like thrown to the ground and they both crash <laughs> yeah so when i was answering my, this question originally my metric for how much animals could carry when we fly well so i based my my flying methods off of like physics so i like gave all my animals wings and then i like calculated whether they'd be able to fly or not where marcus's interpretation was a little different he didn't give animals wings he just said that they could fly in general And then that the carrying capacity was based on the example of an eagle. So a 10-pound eagle can carry a 5-pound object. So he assumed that any animal can carry half their weight in flight. Um, So I'm going to use this method for my uh, situation. I don't know where this guy got his sources from, but (laughs) I checked him, so... (laughs) Yeah, I blame Marcus. So basically any animal that's twice my weight will be able to carry me when I'm swinging off of them. I weigh 160 pounds, so any animal that's 320 pounds can carry me. So like elephants, bears, hippos, that sort of thing. Those types of animals aren't necessarily like around where I am, but um, I wanted to see like what was the most common animal that could carry me. And the cow is the most populous animal 
or the populous land animal other than humans, there are 1.46 billion cows in the world. And a smaller breed of cow, like the lightest weight adult cow, weighs around 600 pounds, which is way over what we need anyway. So, And then larger breeds get up to like 2,500 pounds. So my physics-based interpretation of this question says that cows wouldn't be able to carry me because they wouldn't be able to physically fly anyway on their own. <laughs> but Marcus's interpretation means that I can web sling off of cows and I don't need buildings. I don't need concrete. I just need cows. I hope there's a lot of crime to fight in the, <laughs> the mid-country. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are. People will tip cows, but I don't know. They can fly now, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Ben, what did you do? So I looked at, the questions I looked at, um, sort of an order of importance to my answer, we'll go with that, are first off, what if it rained non- nonstop, which was from episode 157, where it basically said that just there was a constant moderate rainfall eternally. We did a power grab bag where we looked at what if all of the power in the world was generated by some source. So we did originally human steam or nuclear power. I, as you may imagine, going with the nonstop rain, I'm going to look at water power. Uh, and finally, I'm looking at, oh, no, sorry, that was episode 145. And finally, I looked at, for reasons that we'll get to down the line, what if you had a video game item, specifically Flood, which is a water jetpack slash, I don't even know, power washer, I guess, from Super Mario Sunshine. And then it was episode 134. So let's talk a little bit about hydroelectric power. How it works is very simple. Water is heavy, as we've talked about before. Uh, and when it flows, you can use it to move a turbine and that you can spin a generator and produce electricity. Anytime you do any kind of power generation, that's always how it goes, is you have something pushing a turbine to push a generator. There are really three kinds of hydroelectric power. There is pumped storage, which isn't really what we're looking for here, but it's cool and I wanted to talk about it. It's basically a water battery. And the idea is that you have power from other sources that you use to pump water from a low elevation reservoir into a high uh, elevation reservoir. And then when you have power shortages, you can release that water back down through turbines to generate power to make up whatever shortfall you're, you're, you're having. Which is pretty cool because theoretically it's a way that you can have an entirely renewable like energy system, right? You can store your solar and wind, whatever power, and pump storage, hydroelectric, and then use that when you don't have the other available. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've actually seen, I've seen them do it with um, basically concrete blocks. Yes. That they would put on train rails, and they would just literally, when they had the energy, they would pull this big, heavy rock up a hill and leave it at the top of the hill. And when you need that energy back, you just push it down the hill, and that, you know, that motion generates the power. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you could just... It's a potential energy battery. They had some over-the-top name for it, but I loved it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I remember you talking about that actually on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember when or why. Yeah, you did. I don't remember, but yeah. Yeah. But yes, you can do it with water too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I can definitely say it's not the what if concrete didn't exist question. It definitely <laughs> no, wasn't on that one. It was not that one. <laughs> so there's two ways to actually like generate power using water. So the first and the most common is impoundment, which is dams. Um, the idea is you have a reservoir behind a dam. It's kind of the pump storage, but without that whole pumping part, right? You just release water down from that reservoir at a controlled rate. And as that flows down, you're using it to span a turbine. There's also diversion or run of river, 
which the idea is that you're basically channeling part of a river through a canal, and that is pulling it across turbines just with the natural flow of the river. There are actually more problems with hydroelectric power than I expected, it turns out. It's sort of different ones for each both dams and run of river systems so dams are actually a lot worse environmentally than i knew about the big and maybe obvious one when you think about it is that to make that reservoir you're flooding an area that's you know you're creating a lake where there isn't a lake effectively um, which obviously have a lot of, of impacts to both people and you know the environment around that area they actually lead to a lot of greenhouse gases it's kind of weird. It, it basically comes down to the microbes in that reservoir. Allergies and whatnot will release a lot of, of greenhouse gases. And I've seen some kind of insane numbers that I didn't entirely trust enough to cite them here for how much that leads to. <laughs> the more sane ones I saw suggested that, that uh, reservoirs lead to around as much greenhouse emission as like Germany, which is a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I saw someone saying it was like 20% of emissions and it was like, well, that's clearly not right. <laughs> like, yeah. And then finally, because they are damming off this river, they will stop sediment from moving further down the river, which will make coastal erosion worse uh, because you don't have that sort of replenishing of what's, what is worn away by, um, you know, at the coastline from, from, you know, the ocean crashing against it. Runner river has issues as well. Less, sort of environmental and more just because of the nature of the run of river system, they're not as reliable, I guess, as a dam is because they're, you know, they rely on that flow of the river. So with a dam, you have that reservoir that's going to be full of water. Even if you get into a reasonable drought situation, you don't have that with a run of river system. You know, it's just the river. So if the river drives up or even just if it slows down, um, you're going to wind up having less or no power, depending on how bad you know the situation gets. That's kind of the the more obvious one. The trickier one I hadn't, you know, that that was less obvious, I guess. You can't support the highest possible flow of the river. You have to kind of build your system to expect the average flow, and if you get more than that, you just sort of have to let the extra water go by and quote unquote waste that potential energy, just because of the way that turbines work basically however both of those problems are no longer problems if we have a constant rainfall with that we will have constant flow of river and it'll be a higher rate than we currently have so how much hydroelectric do we do now the u.s does 300 billion 760 kilowatt hours which is only about 7.3 percent of the u.s's power we're not great compared to the rest of the world. Overall, the world gets about 16% of its power from hydroelectric. So we're still definitely far below what we're talking about in terms of powering everything with hydroelectric power. So we have to bridge that gap from 16% of power to 100%. Can we get there? The answer is tricky. I'm going to say probably and explain my logic, but there are a lot of factors that go into this. I was looking at the equations that they use to determine how much power a run of river system will generate, and they are really complicated. And as far as I can tell, not even actually that accurate. They kind of just use it as a guide for where it's viable. It's weird. But I will say that currently, the Chief Joe's Dam, which is uh, on the Columbia River, is the third largest run of river power facility in the world. 
uh, largest one the U.S. has. And it is the third largest producing hydroelectric plant in the U.S., despite that river only being the fourth largest by volume in the U.S. So even currently, we have a lot more room where we could do this with, you know, a large amount of power generation. Beyond that, there are many countries that are much better than us at using hydroelectric power. The best example in terms of like geographically and them being great at it is probably Canada. Uh, Canada is actually the second largest producer of hydroelectricity in the world. Uh, and they actually generate 59.6% of their power from hydroelectric, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. So despite my best efforts, I was not able to uh, figure out exactly how much power we could get from, say, you know, a series of these on like the Mississippi River. Well, Canada's stealing all the energy from it before it even gets to us. Freaking Canadians. Well, and that is, this is one of those things that I'm pretty sure there's nothing stopping you from just having multiple of these in a series. The water's all still going down. I guess technically you might have to speed up again, but you, it's not like you can have one of these on each river. I know the velocity of the flow is part of it, so you couldn't just have it go forever because it will slow down going through the turbines obviously yeah i don't know where i don't know where the conservation of energy breaks down exactly but yeah it's probably velocity or yeah so my rationale here on us being able to do more than we even could now is that with the rainfall you'll have a lot more water flowing into rivers just from everywhere anyway so you should be able to have a pretty high rate throughout the river this is all avoiding one big problem and also the other question i looked into for this answer which is that when we did this question before, when we looked at making everything whatever powered, we try whenever possible to avoid batteries. And all of this is great for generating power just generally for a country or whatever, but it's not great for, say, running a cell phone. And that is where we're going to bring in Flood. So Flood, for those of you who haven't played Super Mario Sunshine or listened to the episode where Chris talks about Flood, is basically... I'm going to call it a back-mounted pressure washer that can also serve as a jetpack and some other stuff. It's complicated. It can make you run really fast on water. Run really fast or like jump up like 50 feet in the air. It's, yeah. It fills up with water and it shoots it out in various directions. Its main purpose is to clean walls. It's a pressure washer, but high functioning. So the question I had to figure out was, would it be possible to use Flood, not just to sort of spray water haphazardly, but to fire that water through a effectively a portable run of river hydroelectric power center you could use to power your phone. So I sourced a lot of numbers from a variety of YouTubers. The three I mostly looked at were uh, SwankyBox, who I think Chris said you used when you actually did your answer initially, Tetrabit Gaming and Trick Theory, who did a bunch of complicated calculations and let's be honest here, guessing to figure out a lot of properties of, of flood. And what they figured out is that Flood, despite being pretty small, has to contain around 700 gallons of water that it can discharge in about 42 and a half seconds. Out of a nozzle that's about a foot in diameter, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but it's the only way that it makes sense considering the dimensions of the game, which is around 63 kilograms per second of water. And if I took those kind of wonky calculations you can use to determine the... Uh, power generation of one of these power plants at the highest theoretical efficiency it only actually generates around eight and a half watts which isn't that much it's enough to charge a cell phone or run one without charging cell phones draw two to six watts while charging or around half a watt when not charging 
The problem with that being that, like I said, it discharges in 42 and a half seconds and then you're out of water. So technically, yes, you could use Flood to power your cell phone, but only if you only had to make a very short phone call or check Twitter for about 42 seconds. <laughs> I also just imagine like you have like a little turbine like that's like plugs into the bottom of your phone and you just like aim your nozzle at it and you shoot it. Right. And then your phone just goes flying. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot more important now that all our phones are randomly waterproof. <laughs> I was hoping I could figure out some way to like, you know, oh, well, if you reduce the flow, you can make it last for longer. But the problem is all of that flow rate and everything goes into the power generation. So there's probably some level where you can get it up to like a few minutes but we're working on a pretty small margin as it is so the long and short of it is yes we can almost certainly generate enough power for civilization in general but having it portable might be a bit complicated so that is what i have marcus what'd you do all right so probably my favorite thing to do on the show is make up ridiculous versions of existing sports so i couldn't resist make water polo again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no bendit took all the water questions so i, I did do water that, that was okay. i'm not gonna say that's why i did it but <laughs> i'd like to say that's why i did it but anyway i couldn't resist tapping off the year and the um we had fictional sports that didn't really work with what i wanted to do so the sport that we did this year is hockey so first question episode 141 how would you improve hockey and i did that through these two questions i tacked on what if everyone moved 100 miles an hour from episode 156 and what if deserts were desserts which was actually in our lightning round uh, episode 130 so making something better you just make it faster let's start with the speed hockey players actually end up going around like 20 miles an hour plus when they're at top speed on the ice which is pretty freaking fast At 20 miles an hour, they can actually do a lap around the rink in about, like, 13 to 14 seconds when they, like, do that, like, in training and stuff like that. I mean, it's no Spider-Man. It's no Spider-Man. It's not, (laughs) it's not a thousand miles an hour. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) And then when you kind of cap out, like, skating speeds, the fastest high-speed ice skater was hitting 56 and a half miles an hour. Typically, like, if you're watching an Olympic sport on, like, a shorter distance speed skate, they're, like, usually around, like, 35 miles an hour. Which is still pretty crazy. That's pretty insane, yeah. So, if you look at that 13 to 14 second lap, at 100 miles an hour, they're five times faster, one-fifth the time. They're doing that same lap in two to three seconds instead of 13 or 14. And I don't think the sport really works if you can cross the whole rink in two seconds. So, really, we're going to need a bigger hockey rink. Luckily, the other question I crafty selected is a convenient hypothetical to pair with that. Because if all your deserts are desserts... You just play your hockey game on a giant desert of ice cream. And you just have these rolling hills of ice creams and sherbet, and you just play hockey on those at a large scale at these high speeds. Can you ice skate on ice cream? <laughs> so, not with a blade. It's okay. going to be, you're going to want a wider surface, but there's nothing stopping you from, you know, skating on top of it. So you're saying like a performance snowshoe, effectively. Yeah, a, perf- yeah, a high-speed performance snowshoe, a shoe canoe. <laughs> Except deserts, um, oh my god, reading deserts or desserts in my notes is actually horrible. Uh, (laughs) Except that deserts tend to be kind of (laughs) hot. So I was worried that our beautiful ice cream would soon be soup, which is less good for playing hockey on. So I was doing a little research to see if any desert stayed cold enough to maintain like a nice ice cream surface at non-night times, because, you know, you don't want to play in the dark. And very quickly realized that, duh, the largest desert on Earth is also the coldest. It's Antarctica. Antarctica is a desert. 
So what you can do is you can take your hockey team, you can ship them down to Antarctica, and you can play large-scale, 100-mile-an-hour hockey. And so this works. And maybe under normal episode circumstances, I would wrap it up with this and throw in a couple fun little rules about, you know, throwing chocolate chips at or something. I don't know. (laughs) That's a good rule. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a good rule. You only get two minutes for throwing chocolate chips at somebody, (laughs) so people do it all the time. But there's there's a couple issues I'm ignoring if if I conclude with this. One, I don't think humans can physically keep up with any sort of action at 100 miles an hour. One just kind of like reaction-wise gets a little tricky. If people are moving like as fast as a professional baseball player's fastball. And two, I, I couldn't find any really numbers for it, but maneuverability, like when you see these high speed spading events, it's like a very controlled, very clean thing. Like all they have to worry about is going forward. And even that is like an Olympic level skill to go 35 miles an hour. At 100, you're just zooming. <laughs> you're just, you're zooming and <laughs> turning around is going to be a, be a task. I just want to point out that you said high skeet spading events. <laughs> high skeet spading? <laughs> high skeet spading is good. So that's problem number one, is I'm not sure if hockey actually works at a full 100 miles an hour on a large... Because you need some amount of dexterity, and that's just not really happening at those speeds. And two, I think... If you turn Antarctica into a rich hub of nutrients via making it all ice cream, I worry that the kind of the penguin and seal populations would explode, and then seals and penguins would literally explode as players bump into them at 100 miles an hour, because really, penguins and seals' default state is huddled up in a pile, not moving anywhere. And though they could run away at 100 miles an hour, they're just not gonna. And if you've ever seen those big masses of penguins and seals around, I don't need this kind of carnage going around. So... It's the big year-end remix, and if you listened last year, I didn't stop at three questions. I combined five questions, so I have a reputation to uphold. So I'm going to start, I'm adding two more questions into my answer. The two I'm adding are episode 147, what if the Earth spun ten times as fast? And episode 152, what if no one had to eat, sleep, or breathe? So I'm adding those two to the pot, and you might be asking, why? That does not really line up with Antarctica. Because there's one more giant desert we can play our hockey game on the moon so eat sleep breathe this is an easy one i just took this one to solve the first problem you know it's going to be annoying to play in spacesuits and if we want our players to you know play effectively and generally hang out and function on the moon it's going to be a lot easier to do that trip and play that game without the need for like full nasa logistics to keep them alive at all points plus not that many people watch hockey it's going to get kind of expensive so this will help cut down on those costs a little bit The Earth spinning 10 times as fast actually helps us in two ways. The first way is actually getting to the moon in the first place. Um, With the Earth spinning 10 times as fast, it both elongates at the equator. And I'm not sure, I think the rotational momentum helps you a little bit with counteract gravity. That might be an incorrect statement. I'd have to check the physics a little bit. Oh, it should. I think it should. But yeah, basically... At the equator, under these conditions, Chris, you had actually done this math out on the on the original episode. Instead of competing against a gravitational acceleration of 9.8 meters per second squared, it goes down to like 0.4. Also, the increased speeds helps escape velocity as well. Spaceships will actually launch. When they launch, they actually start heading east to obtain um, their orbit velocities because they can actually borrow that spinning momentum from the Earth to give them a little bit of a boost. So it makes it easier to get to the moon. That's nice. The second thing is a bit more complicated. You can't really have an ice cream surface on the moon. First of all, as cold as the moon generally is, the surface that's exposed to the sun gets 
really hot, like 200 degrees plus hot on the surface of the moon, which would cause our ice cream to melt. But it wouldn't just melt because the second problem is that there's not enough air on the moon for ice cream to exist. The reason you don't see really any liquids on the moon, there's actually plenty of water on the moon, but you don't see it because the air pressure is so low. And so if you have a liquid, they have a, uh, there's a vapor pressure where if the pressure around the liquid decreases because there's no air, for example, it vaporizes at lower and lower temperatures. So really liquid water doesn't exist in the moon because there's no air. And then if there's no air, there's nothing to kind of keep a little bit of pressure on to keep it in that liquid state. So what I had actually covered in the Earth Spinning Faster episode is that the faster the Earth spins, the more it expands its magnetic field. And if the Earth's spinning 10 times faster, it actually, it expands the magnetic field of the Earth far enough to fully shield the moon. And the end result of that, if you listen to that episode, is that with that, the moon can actually start to begin gathering an atmosphere because it won't be blown away by the solar winds. So this helps by both allowing, one, having enough air pressure to have ice cream, and once we start having a little bit of an atmosphere on the moon, it's actually also going to help mitigate the wild temperature swings, because a big part of that is that there's just no protection, nothing to moderate all the energy it's getting from the sun. So even though the moon won't have, like, a full breathable atmosphere and be, like, you know, Earth-like if it gets into this magnetic field protection, it should be enough to allow us to get not you know not oven temperatures and allow us to have ice cream existing there was one last piece of puzzle though i had said originally a couple minutes ago i did not want to play ice cream uh play hockey (laughs) on uh melty ice cream land and even though we won't be up to like 260 degrees it's still going to be warm and i don't want to play it in the dark because that's just annoying but i'm starting to come around to it and here's why at 70 miles an hour this is the magic number where if we could run this fast, humans reach the point where they could be like the green basilisk lizard and run across the surface of water. So if you're running 70 miles an hour faster, you can run on the surface of water without falling in. For a few steps. Like, this kind of imitates the lizard. This would be like where it reaches, like, the lizard ability. They can run, like, you know, like, 15, 20, 30 steps. Like, a good distance, but eventually it kind of caves. But this is how that works on Earth. And I still think 70 miles per hour is pretty fast to play. But... Another benefit of being on the moon, and part of the reason I chose this, is that on the moon, you don't need to go 70 miles an hour. The gravity is way less on the moon. You could actually manage it at normal human running speeds. If there was a pool on the moon and you went there today, you could run across it without falling in. So it doesn't matter, and it's almost cooler if our ice cream melts a little bit. So pick a big ice cream bowl crater, set up some goals... And madly run across the ice cream while slapping a puck around. And that is how you play moon hockey. The real sport of 2021. So you kind of did water polo with melted ice cream. (laughs) Yeah, I ended up dangerously close to water polo after all. (laughs) But uh, with that, I think we can move on to our would you rather question. All right, Ben, are you ready for the last question, would you rather of the year? Last would you rather question of the year. Are you ready for it? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Chris let it out the one where I sound stupid and it'll sound like I got it right the first time. Believe in that statement. All right. (laughs) Would you rather get motion sickness every time you run or green slime shoot out of your nose when you sneeze? Uh, uh, I mean, I like to run. 
That's why I started with you. <laughs> do you like to sneeze? <laughs> no, but I do have allergies. What are you allergic to? Pollen and cats. And I do like cats. I'm not, I don't have any particularly strong feelings about pollen aside from knowing it gives me allergies. How much slime are we talking here? Noticeable and definitely weird. It's not boogers. <laughs> like, Is it like Nickelodeon slime? That's kind of what I was seeing in my mind. It was like that color and viscosity. Yeah, it's just like brighter green. It's like noticeably different than regular snot. Because otherwise, would you, you know, the question is, would you rather get motion sickness when you run or sneeze like a normal person? <laughs> That's congested a little bit. Yeah, but wetter. How much of it, though? I, w- I would say, like, when you sneeze and there's a reasonable amount of snot that comes out. You know, like, when you when you are congested and you sneeze and, like, a nose worth, right? Like <laughs> A nose worth of slime? Yeah, a nose worth. Of course, a nose worth of snot for a sneeze. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking, like, exorcist, you know, like, torrents here. We're saying, you know. Is this, like, projectile shooting it out? As much as sneezes are, I mean... Again, imagine a snotty sneeze, except each sneeze is snotty, and it's green snotty. I mean, you could just use a tissue and cover it up. You could, but you're not always going to have a tissue. True. Oh, if you have this, you might want to. You might just do that. If Yeah, if you have this condition, you probably would always have a tissue. Would you be one of those people who carries like a cloth handkerchief around, like in your pocket, just in case? A very green one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you wouldn't want to reuse any handkerchief or anything. <laughs> so my thought is that you'll probably have like a pack of paper tissues on you. But I feel like I would have, you know, a pocket handkerchief as a emergency one. Right. Yeah. You know, that's just like always in my pocket available. Well, you need one of those like a Spider-Man wrist thing, except it just shoots out of tissue. <laughs> <laughs> It's so like, are you guys in favor of the running motion sickness one as people who don't run? I'm still not sure because I was thinking, and, and this is kind of what was interesting for me on this question is, how much do I need to run? It's not a lot. Yeah. I guess I don't have to run a lot. I mean, it puts you off of like, oh, you can't play like a lot of sports. You know, obviously ex- there's there's other types of exercise. Like you could go swimming or you could do like stationary things like. You know, I think an elliptical would be like the borderline, but there's plenty of like other exercises you could do. So it's not like you couldn't exercise and get in shape. So it's not like a speed thing. It's like because like the definition of running is when you leave the ground, right? Like when you don't have at least one foot on the ground. Yeah, you have a point where you are fully off the ground. So it's not a speed thing. I mean, it's I'll say this instead of technically defining what running is, let's just say if someone looks at what you're doing, it's like, oh, they're running. That's when it's motion sickness. You know it when you see it. Like, I think jogging is okay. Like, I think a, I think a light jog would be okay, but you just can't. Yeah, I would say that was running. I think a jog is a run. I would I would say jogging is a subset of running, yeah. Okay, so no jogging. You can walk aggressively, but that's as much as you can do. I wouldn't say skipping is running. You can skip, I think. Okay, you might be able to skip, but point being... <laughs> so you can still sort of get your exercise, Ben. All right. Chris, when's the last time you ran? Uh, when I broke my ankle. And <laughs> <laughs> never looked back. Yeah, I guess I've technically like jogged since then. But yeah, ever since I broke my ankle, I've been like really cautious about running. I think, I mean, I haven't gone for a run in a, in a billion years. Oh, no, I definitely, I definitely ran like with my little cousin around the house, like small spurts of running, which... I guess you could overcome with motion. Oh, that'd be so annoying. It wouldn't be great, no. It's the little emergencies in life. It's not about running, like, going running. I think it's, like, 
running from the living room to the kitchen when you fuck something up <laughs> or like your pet has grabbed something you're like no 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 you can't and then you run you have to run like 10 feet to where they are to stop them from doing something if it's an emergency though then like you're probably willing to just be a little motion sick for that like motion sickness isn't like you're gonna die like it goes away after a little bit oh yeah no i won't it's not like it'll incapacitate me but also like i could just pick the sneezing thing yeah but the sneezing thing it's probably gonna happen like i sneeze a good amount it's a bit annoying just being a wet sneezer i think it's annoying to have to explain it to people where, like, every time you sneeze, like, even if you, you know, sneeze into a tissue or whatnot, people are going to see it eventually. I mean, it's a bright green snooze, like, you know, snot. So it's like, oh, is, that was weird. Yeah, I have this thing. You should get that checked out. Yeah, no, I've been to the doctor. Uh, and he was like, you should have just gotten motion sickness instead. <laughs> <laughs> I will say both of these are going to be things where you're going to tell people, hey, there's this weird thing that happens. And they're going to believe you way more with the sneezing one because they're going to sneeze and they'll be bright green. And they'll be like, oh, that was true. I would believe anyone who told me they get motion sick whenever they run. Yeah, I could believe that's like a medical condition. If someone told me that, I think. Yeah, I guess that's fair. It does sound a lot more reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, like vertigo is a thing. I mean, it will be weird when they're like only running, not like biking or being in a car or anything. It's just they're running. I mean, you don't have to be that specific when you tell them. Well, yeah. It's it's vertigo fast. (laughs) Jesus. I just hate being nauseous. It's like the freaking worst. It's so bad. Also, like, I was doing the VR, one of those VR headsets, and it was, like, on the, one of the roller coasty things. And that was, like, the first time where I was, like, I don't typically get motion sick on most things, so it's been a while. But that actually made me, like, a little bit motion sick in bursts when I was doing that. And I'm, like, oh, no, I hate this. I don't want this at all. So maybe I just have a more vivid memory of that at this moment than a wet sneeze. And so I'm going to start. I'm going to say I'm going to go with the green slime sneezes. Okay. I'm going to go with the running just because I don't think I'm going to be running that much. And if if I do, then I can I can deal with a little bit of motion sickness for that very short period of time. It's going to be unpleasant, but I'll, I'll just deal with it. I am certainly going to go with wet sneezes because I do like to run, even though I haven't done it that much this past year. I like how both of these answers are like five times worse for Ben than me or you, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Yeah, you kind of gave me a pretty bad options here, dude. I mean, I'm allergic to pollen, too, so I would sneeze a lot during the spring. Okay. Well, that's decided then. Hey, reminder, this is our last episode of the year. We do have a hiatus coming up. Well, right after this. After today, we are going to be taking a break for the holidays as we go back and see all the families and do all that holiday stuff. So we will not have time to record or edit or any of those things. But we will be back on February 7th. We will be returning with to start off our 2022 year of episodes. If you cannot wait, all the way till February to get new Absurd Hypotheticals content and hear our beautiful voices. We still do continue to do our Patreon-specific episodes. So if you go to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and click on the Become a Patron for just a singular dollar, uh, you get access to all our Patreon-exclusive episodes. We do one every month. We do some crazy stuff back there, but they're kind of just generally... It's a bit more freeform. Uh, we talk about behind-the-scenes type stuff. Uh, me and Ben have some eating challenges to execute that we promised to do on the previous episode, so that'll be on the next one. All right, I have to buy eggnog. Oh, no. And your cereal <laughs> of choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ben, ben, you're doing eggnog cereal, and I'm doing... Uh, candy cane sandwich. Candy cane sandwich. Candy cane Nutella sandwich. That's gonna... Uh, <laughs> it can technically be any candy cane sandwich you want. We should decide that was probably the most... Uh, 
palatable option. It just have to, has to have bread and candy canes, and then anything else can be in it. Yeah. So if you're if you're if you're into listening to podcast hosts eat weird things live, that's something you can pay money for. <laughs> <laughs> we accept that over on Patreon. But there are plenty of non-monetary ways to help the show, leaving us a review, like, commenting, subscribing on if you're listening to this on YouTube, or sending us questions. We're always looking for more questions to do on the show, and if you send us one, uh, either through email of certainhypotheticals at gmail.com, or if you're, again, if you're on YouTube, you can put it right just right in the comment section. We like your question. It might be on the show, and you'll be immortalized forever on Absurd Hypotheticals. For as long as YouTube exists. As long as the internet exists. So as long as YouTube exists, it's probably as long as the internet exists, so probably forever. Like, literally, immor- immor- we're offering literal immortality for free, so, you know, hop on that. But again, that's how you get more of us. Otherwise, we will see you in the new year. Again, February 7th, 2021. 2022. 2022? Yep. Man, I need a break. It's perfect. Perfect timing. Obviously, I need a hiatus. Yep. (laughs)